Channel 1. And it's interesting that we're talking about the, this right now because um, earlier on I actually had to change my levels to make it work. W- would you like a brief tutorial on how microphones work with these levels? Well, look, let me tell you, because it actually ties in very neatly with the sermon and what we're actually talking about. Because you see, there are dedicated channels or sliders to each part of the frequency of the voice. Did you know that? There is one for hi. There is one for mid. And there is one for low. And when you turn them up or down, you can actually remove that boxy, tinny sound depending on which ones you prioritize. For someone like me with a bit of bass in his voice, you don't need to turn the bass up, the low ones. You turn the mids and the highs. That gives me a more standard sound. For someone like my wife with a little bit more of a a mid-strong range, you turn the bass and the highs up and that goes up there. And then for other people with high-pitched voices, you turn the bass up and you turn the highs down. What's interesting is I tend to find that I turn the highs down for most people. Can you guess why? Let me tell you. Because most people, when they're speaking into the microphone, they are speaking in a way or holding the microphone where it's actually taking all of the aspirations from everything that they're saying. Can you hear that? And that comes through on the highs. So by removing that, we remove some of that factor. But then when you have a person with good microphone technique, they remove it naturally and you can actually attune it to their voice. In one of my previous placements, I actually had an opportunity to sit down with an audio engineer. Mm. (laughs) And he calibrated the sound system to my voice. And there was a button on the sound desk that said pasta. And when I got up to speak, he would push that button and it automatically switched all the dials. They moved up and down and it was calibrated to my voice. It was a dedicated channel for me. And Lord, did I feel special. But the reason for it wasn't to make me feel special. It was so that when we recorded our sermons and put them online, It was coming through without any distraction. There was never going to be any squeaking of the mic. There was never going to be any tonal issues that came across. Sadly, the presets could do nothing for my accent. But some people find it charming. Having a dedicated channel meant that I didn't have to worry about that. I got up and I could preach God's message. I could read from the word, I could go ahead and speak and know that what was going on the recording was the voice that I heard. I had an excellent experience with Phil at Vision Radio where they actually put headphones on us and they attuned the system and you can hear. And a really good sound engineer will make you hear over the headphones what you sound like in your head. I'm not sure that's a good thing. Sometimes I think the voice in our heads is telling us good things that maybe we shouldn't be hearing. (laughs) But it's interesting to hear that. The house of the Lord was a dedicated space for God. And it was a space where God could enter in and connect with His people 
without having to worry about what was going on out in the world of sin, hate, and pain. It was a space where the people of God had already preset. They had set their levels right to what it needed to be so that they could walk in there and encounter with their loving God, encounter with His presence, encounter with His ongoing love and dedication to them. Have you ever thought about that? Dedication is a two-way street, isn't it? Because it's not only about that which is being dedicated, but it's about who it's being dedicated for and their appreciation of it. Many churches have dedication stones, don't they? They'll have a stone usually in the corner of the building. This building was dedicated to the glory of God in the year of our Lord. In Europe, some of those stones are hundreds and hundreds of years old. It is a testimony of the fact that those spaces were dedicated to God for the purpose of worship. It makes them sacred ground. So today we're going to talk about what it means to have a place dedicated to the Lord. Because I want to challenge you. And I want to ask you, where is your cornerstone? What is it that we are dedicated to? And how can we make our dedication to the Lord something that we live out every day? Let us pray. Father, I thank you for your Holy Spirit. I thank you that you are at work among us. Bless us with your love, your grace, and your mercy. Be present among us, I pray. And may we know and hear your voice this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Chronicles and Kings are parallel books in Scripture. You can read them one after the other, or you can read them side by side and find that one fills the gaps of the other. And it's an interesting exercise to do that because it gives you the whole picture. And particularly when it comes to the dedication of the temple, I find it really helpful to have the two side by side. And I'm really blessed. I've got two Bibles Two NIVs at home. So I was able to literally have them side by side and look at this one and look at that one and be able to make my comparison and my contrasts. And I chose to lift these verses not from the Chronicles reading we had today, but from the Kings one. Because you see, in the Kings one, it's more of that personal testimony of the people who saw what was going on. Chronicles is telling us from Solomon's perspective. But Kings is the people. And here we get this account. 1 Kings 8, verse 6, and then from 10 to 11. The priests then brought the Ark of the Lord's Covenant to its place in the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place, and put it beneath the wings of the cherubim. When the priests withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord and the priests could not perform the service because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled his temple. I love hearing noise in church. I love hearing you sing. 
I love hearing you clap. I love hearing you cough and sneeze. I love hearing you talk amongst yourselves. Yes, I do. I do. I know you're looking at me like I'm a bit silly. Maybe I am. But all those noises mean that there's life in the church. I was listening to one of my sermons the other day. I, I do that from time to time. You know, it's a little bit like... Uh, stop giving away my message. Come on. <laughs> it's a little bit like how... Um, <laughs> just threw me off completely. Um, what was I saying? I'm, I listened to my sermon. Yes. So I'm listening, I'm listening to my sermon and I can hear a baby. And I can hear the baby coming through in the recording. And I go, yes, darling. <laughs> because, because I love hearing the church being alive. I love hearing you respond. I love hearing you connecting with the word. I love the fact that this is a living organism. It's not a cold, dead organization. It is a living, breathing organism that, yes, coughs and wheezes and clears their throat. Wonderful. Great. Do it. Let me know that you're alive. Let me know you have the Spirit in you. Let me know that you're responding. The priests, you might have thought, needed to enter the temple to do their job. The temple had just been dedicated. My word. There they were, standing in their regalia, standing in their refinements, the, the vestments that had been crafted hundreds of years beforehand. And there they were, standing ready to go into the church, into the temple. And yet they couldn't. They couldn't do their job. Well, the line manager is going to have something to say about that, isn't he? Not when the line manager is gone. Yes, bless you, my son. That's different. He's making noise outside the church. The line manager in that case was actually in there getting the place ready for them. God, His glory, His presence was in the house getting the place ready and they could not enter. See, the glory of God is a tangible thing in the Old Testament. It holds back those who are sinful. It blesses the righteous and it uplifts the children of God. This is something that we need to remember in the 21st century church today. Because if we go and decide to open a church in a strip mall, that's fine. That's not a problem. But that place may not be dedicated to God. The people are. Are you with me? We may open up a church in a parking lot. What if one day we decide to take over the Yatla drive-in? We could do that. That would be amazing. It's not the place that is dedicated. The people are. The presence of God in filling each and every one of our hearts and lives. And in this moment, God was there preparing the space. And because these people were living before the grace that came in Jesus Christ, they had to wait. In that, there is a picture for us also. For you see, we would love to see God's little finger come down on the city of Brisbane. And boom, everybody would be saved. And boom, everybody would turn to Jesus. But that's not how God works. Sometimes God goes and prepares the space for the unbeliever. Because he is not ready. Because he cannot see. Because he cannot understand. And you and I, 
We've got to be patient. We've got to stand there in our glorious regalia of righteousness that we get in Jesus Christ. We've got to wait. Thank you, Kimmy. This is how the Old Testament saw the world. This central part of the building was the holy place. Kodesh Ha Kodesh Kim. That's what that writing says. Sometimes translated as the most holy place. It's, it's actually not a great interpretation. I would say it's holiness upon holiness. Any Vegemite enthusiasts in the house today? <laughs> Do you like your Vegemite nice and thick? No. You know exactly how to have it. Is that right? I'm not a Vegemite enthusiast, but I love dulce de leche. Dulce de leche is like a cream paste that we put on our, uh, on, on cheese sometimes, on different things. And I like it thick. <laughs> I will lay it on. That's what that place was for the Jewish people, but with holiness. It was holiness upon holiness upon holiness upon holiness. Incomprehensible to the mind of the sinner, but understandable in our divine souls that connect with He that is holy. So that becomes the dwelling place of God. The dwelling place in Hebrew is Mishnah. The presence of God is Shekinah. These words are related. Dwelling, presence, the idea, the notion being that where God is, there is holiness. So friends, if you take God with you into work, you're taking what? If you're taking God with you in the car, you're taking what? If you're taking God with you to church, you're taking what? Come on, tell me. Because if we forget that for even a moment, we might as well lock up the doors and all go home. Let's find holiness somewhere else. God has prepared the place in our hearts to be bearers of this holiness. The thing is that grace, grace is so good. Grace is so amazing that he has imparted this to us and we take it for granted. But we need to remember, we need to know this. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. One who carries that holiness because of his grace. So this was the worldview. Holiness came down in that little room. Actually, it was an enormous room. But in the context of the world, it was little. And then the courts on the outside, that's the space that we read. Solomon didn't even go into that room. He did his dedication from afar. And he pointed to it. And he went, over there. That's where holiness reigns. That's where holiness will come down. That's where holiness will come in. So do we. We point to Jesus. That's where holiness reigns. That's where holiness comes down. That's where righteousness prevails. Solomon stood in the courts over here. 
and he pointed to that room. The courts were a little bit less holy than that room. And Jerusalem was a little bit less holy than the courts, but it was still holy because it still had within it this component, this understanding of that holiness had come down and it would radiate out. And like the morning fog, it would become thinner and thinner. Israel was holy. Eretz Israel, the land of Israel, was holy. It was promised land given to the children of God. And that dissipation continued out. Thank you, Kimmy. And the worldview was that this was a Mount Everest of holiness on a world of sin, on a world of depravity. We can think about it in these terms. Thank you, Kimmy. Holiest. The temple was holy. Jerusalem and Israel were dedicated. And then the world around it was depraved. And my friends, I want you to realize that this model applies to you and me. We need to walk with Christ in our hearts, inviting Him to create in us that space, that place. We need to know and understand that the places in which we walk are dedicated. I believe that God has called us to our place of work, to our families. You find yourself in a coffee shop one day, I believe that God may have called you there. Why not? God called Philip to run alongside the chariot of the eunuch, didn't he? Are you less special than Philip? No, of course not. He was a Gentile just like us. He saw Jesus, yes, but we also have that opportunity to see Christ, to know Christ, to understand Christ. And Philip ran alongside the chariot of the human. This is the worldview of the Jewish people. And to this day, this continues in many respects. This is part of the reason why Jewish people people who are really dedicated to the philosophies and theologies of Judaism, will not go up to the temple, to the temple mount. For they do not know exactly what was the spot, that holy, holiest of spots, and they do not want to desecrate it. They do not want to corrupt it. They don't want to take the, 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 the deprivation of this world into that place. That is part of their reality. Whereas we know that this cross behind me means that the sin of the world has been defeated. Amen. And it means that we walk in grace. It means that we carry, we are bearers of that holiness. Thank you, Kimmy. In Leviticus, God says to his people, you shall be holy to me. For I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. That is the definition of holiness in Scripture. Set apart for God. Because He is holy. We are holy. 
It's not a magical thing. It's not a mysterious thing. It is simple, dear friends. It is simple because we are simple people, aren't we? And we needed to comprehend it. We needed to understand it. We needed to know that God is love and that He wants to unfold us into Himself. And because He is holy, the only way He could do that is with a holy people. That is you and me. Now I'm going to acknowledge right now. This is a hefty charge, isn't it? You're probably going to go home thinking, Oh, how am I going to live holy today? (laughs) What am I going to do? How many prayers do I need to say? How many are fathers? How much should I give to the poor? The answer is, dear friends, there is nothing you can do. There is literally nothing we can do because our holiness comes from Christ. All we can do is turn our hearts towards Him. Let Him be our compass. Let Him be our stirring arrow. Let Him be our GPS. When I was on mission recently, we had this interesting experience where the GPS tried to lead us into a river. Um, Of course, many of the roads we were on turned into rivers anyway, but in in this particular occasion, it was a proper river. (laughs) What had happened is that there was a bridge there once upon a time, but the bridge was gone. And so we're coming racing down this road, just our faith completely on the GPS. We just believed in it. It had shown us. Here you go. Put your faith in it. Well, friends, I invite you, put your faith in Jesus like we put our faith in the GPS because we nearly ended up in the water. (laughs) Praise God for good breaks. Let Him be your compass. That is what holiness means. When we say we're not going to follow the ways of the world anymore and we're going to follow the ways of the Lord. We're going to take off our shoes. And walk on holy paths. Thank you, Kimmy. The book of Ezekiel is a perplexing one. In seminary, we take a year, a whole year, to study Ezekiel. Because there's a lot in it. There are pictures, depictions, visions, historical analogies. And of course, the context of the book itself. Ezekiel prophesied at a time of exile. He lived the period of pre-exile into exile and foresaw the season of post-exile. Many of the people that we understand from that period, Jeremiah, uh, the book of Lamentations, Hezekiah, Jeroboam, those are names that were familiar to Ezekiel. And if you write, if you read it in the original language, you hear a tone of lament. I believe it comes through in the English beautifully. But that tone of lament is there because he knew and understood that God's holiness had withdrawn from his people because of their sin. So here in Ezekiel 9, 9, and then through to 10, 18, we read, The Lord said to Ezekiel, The sin of the people of Israel and Judah is exceedingly great and the land is full of bloodshed and the city full of injustice. Then the glory of the Lord departed from over the threshold of the temple and stopped above the cherubim. 
he actually traces the glory of God moving from the Holy of Holies to the courts, to the gate called Beautiful, being led by the cherubim, and then eventually lifting up into heaven. This is why the temple for us Christians is no longer a holy place. Not in the same sense. Because God's glory had to depart due to the sin of His people. But we know that He did something to restore us, don't we? We know that His glory would not be locked up in heaven for us to hope against hope and vain so that our sin would somehow one day maybe be suppressed enough for Him to come back. No, no, no. We know that the Messiah had to come as a flesh and blood human being to be the perfect offering. That sin would be overcome with a blameless offering. Do you understand? Do you see the circle here? Do you see how it is that it's changed from the temple being this faraway singular point, this Mount Everest of Jewish religion and understanding to being the very heart's and minds and souls that sit in this church and every church every day. How many people do you think worshipped at the temple? How many people do you think made pilgrimage? How many people do you think sang those beautiful psalms as they climbed those steps? I don't know. But I can tell you that today, three billion people know the name of Jesus. I can tell you that today, there are millions upon millions of Christians inhabiting churches throughout the world. I can tell you that today, there are churches being planted all over. And in every language, there are Bibles and Scripture and people preaching His Word. Can you see what God was doing? Can you see how by tearing down the walls of that physical structure, a beautiful structure, something to be celebrated, dedicated, God could actually say, well, now guess what? I'm going to pour out my presence, my Shekinah over all humanity. And our work is not done. Because I found out recently we've reached 8 billion so that's only less than half. We've still got another half of the world to preach the gospel, to share the love of God. People for whom we need to be the bearers of this holiness. Thank you, Kimmy. In Luke 2, we see that Jesus was dedicated in that same time. The presence of God had gone, yes, but in that moment, it re-entered in a special and beautiful way. When the time of the purification rites required by the law of Moses came, Joseph and Mary took him to present him to the Lord. And there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. Read, dedicated. He was waiting the consolation, the restoration of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah 
So moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought the child Jesus. This is what I'm talking about, guys. This is what I mean when I say, you know, maybe the Spirit might lead you to a cafe and you'll encounter someone. Maybe it'll be one of the other parents at your kid's school. Maybe it'll be one of your family members. We don't know, but if we are bearers of that holiness of the Lord, He can go before us and we can see the restoration of Israel. We can see what God had intended all the way from that beginning. Can you see how over this whole series... We were talking about Eden. We were talking about the promised land. Now we're talking about Jesus and the restoration of all of God's creation. Worship is a powerful thing. I hope you get this. It's not just the songs that we sing on a Sunday morning. No. It is who we are. Thank you, Kenny. So Simeon worships the Lord. He sees Jesus and he worships him. Do you see when the presence of God is near you, worship is the appropriate response. Please do it. Please, if if God has performed a miracle in your life, don't just go, oh yeah, thank you, Lord. No worries, now I want to go back to my spreadsheets. Um, (laughs) No. Worship the Lord. Get in your car. Put on some worship music if you have to. Raise your hands. Say a prayer of dedication because God needs to be honored when these things happen. So Simeon says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for your revelation to the Gentiles and to the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Simeon knew that the child, the reason why he was worshipping was to be a sacrifice. Not a sacrifice there in that temple for the presence of God had left. But upon a lonely executioner's mountain for God's grace will be poured out from a place of pain and yet people would worship him for millennia thank you Kim I'm conscious of the time so I'm going to wrap up I want to bring us to the words of uh, of Paul to his disciple Timothy Timothy was a young man. He understood God's word. He had been brought up in all of the appropriate ways and doing all the appropriate things that everybody had asked of young Jewish men. And then he became very inappropriate by following this new wave religion that was called Christianity. A religion that said God's presence is no longer in the Torah. Is no longer in the temple. It is in a man who gave his life so that each of us might live. And Paul says to Timothy, He has saved us and called us to a holy life. Friends, we so often emphasize the first one. 
Because we're afraid. Preachers are afraid to say this. Because we think that people are going to misinterpret. They're going to mishear. They're going to say, oh, God's called us to live a holy life. That means I need to go and say, my, our fathers, I need to go and give to the poor. I need to go and pray. Don't get me wrong. Please do all that. But as God leads you, not because you think that that leads to holiness. To lead a holy life is just dedicate yourself, just like that temple was dedicated, to a God who loves. That's why Paul says, not because of anything we have done, but because of His own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So let us be bearers of His holiness. Let us be bearers of His love and will. Let us respond and go out into this world and lead a holy life. If you have felt the presence of God in this place today, I beg of you, don't leave it here. It's no good here. It's no good if it just remains. Take it with you, please. Share it with all those you encounter, with all those you meet and know. For the temple of God is in your heart and it goes out with you. Amen. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for your Holy Spirit. I thank you for the opportunity that we have to align our souls to your divine will through him. And I want to thank you for Jesus Christ, whose love, life and death makes us bearers of your holiness for all to see. And so we worship you, Lord God. And we go from this place worshiping you. I thank you for this moment we have shared. And I pray your blessing upon your people. In Jesus' name. And the children of God said.